Welcome back to The Fighting Life. I'm Chris and that's James. We're continuing to explore the history of the heavyweight world champions. And today we're looking at a blacksmith from a small town in New Zealand who took the world boxing scene by storm. James, what can you tell me about Bob Fitzsimmons? Chris, someone told me once that the more nicknames a fighter has, the better he is. Now, I don't know how true that is, but Bob Fitzsimmons sure had a lot of nicknames. Uh, The Fighting Blacksmith, The Freckled Wonder, Lanky Rob, The Fighting Machine on Stilts, there's plenty. A lot of these names describe the way Bob looks, and that's important because he's an unusual looking bloke. He's a shade under six foot, he's balding, he's got got reddish hair. (laughs) Balding is not unusual. (laughs) So, sorry, what else is wrong with him? He's, uh, he's got bulging back muscles, really skinny legs, sticking out ears, lots of freckles. He's an unusual looking bloke. <laughs> he might be the least glamorous boxer to ever step in the ring. But Bob's remembered today still as one of the hardest punches of all time. And that saying, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, is attributed to Bob. Bob was such a funny looking person that people would sometimes laugh at him as he came out to fight. But as one historian said, no one ever laughed who stood in the ring with him. Now, take us back to Bob. What's his story? I mentioned he's a blacksmith from New Zealand. How, how did he get there? And give me, give me a bit of family background. Well, Fitz was born in 1863 in Cornwall in England, obsessed with boxing, lots of brothers and sisters. Um, family moved to New Zealand when he was seven years old. And um, there's good insight here from his sister. She talks about his grit and determination, and she says, he took everything with a smile. Victory, hard knocks, a beating. And that's a character trait you'll see down the line throughout his career. As a teen, he got a job working in a blacksmith and swinging a sledge all day. He became very good at shoeing horses. Uh, he He said it really developed his body. There's a quote from him from the time. He says, it strengthens my arms, my legs. When I'm kicked across the shop, it helps me develop the sand in the man. <laughs> Love it. So you can actually still buy his horseshoes online if you've got a few thousand dollars. Um, <laughs> that, that is definitely one for the poor room. That'd be great to have. When does he start fighting? So, yeah, he... he um, I, I guess when does he start boxing instead of just yeah, so he, fighting with his brothers and sisters? So he's fighting with his brothers and sisters and he starts fighting around the, at, the, at the Smith, at the Forge. So if there was any drunks around town or people who won't want to pay their bills or something like that, Bob's there to sort them out. And people would come from far and wide to watch him fight. He was a great fighter. In 1880, he gets his first, he enters into his first boxing competition, and that's run by a famous um, famous boxer from the era called Jem Mace. Yeah, Jem, Jem Mace, for those that don't know, he was, well, he, English people would call him the father of modern boxing. He was a welterweight who won the heavyweight championship of England and a phenomenal boxer, about 70 kilos, and when at a time when people would stand in front of each other and trade punches in the heavier weights, he was willing to go up against those heavier weights, fight like a lightweight, which which he was, but he could dodge punches, slip punches, um, move in and out, and just tear apart opponents and cause them a lot of damage. And well, to speak about why he's important, I guess, quickly, he's a guy that then took his fame, encouraged glove fighting, and went around the world, touring the world, spreading that gospel, 
and setting up boxing schools around the world and exhibitions. So a good person to cross paths with early in your boxing yeah. career. So that's where he made fits with one of his boxing schools. Okay. So Bob had, had developed a reputation around where he was and he went into this boxing tournament in 1880 and beats everyone. He, um, he beats Mesa Scott some fighters that he's trying to bring up and he beats them too. He knocks out everyone. <laughs> um, the next year, Mace comes back through town with the same boxing competition and Fitz wins it again. Mace isn't happy about it, but he says to Fitz, you need to go to Sydney, so leave New Zealand. And so he's heading across to, to Sydney. What's the reason for going there? Why is Sydney a mecca for boxing then? So in Sydney at the time, you've got Larry Foley, who's running the gym in Sydney, and it's, it's just a hotbed of talent. So that's what he does. In 1883, uh, Fitz leaves and arrives in Sydney. And from now on, he's going to work as a blacksmith, but also fight professionally. Yeah, and he fights out of Foley's gym, which is on George Street in Sydney. Foley himself has a huge... It's a podcast in itself, isn't it? Yeah. He was a, a Foley, gangster down in the rocks, yeah. turned boxing empresario, turned pub... Tell me a bit about him. Yes, yeah, so Foley's... Yeah, was a was a gang leader uh, in the rocks... <laughs> went on to be the Australian boxing champion and some say the, the saying as happy as Larry comes from him but yeah he, he sets up this gym people he, he owns a pub basically but behind the pub he has a gym called the Iron Pot people call the Iron Pot and in that gym you've got Peter Jackson the great fighter from the age Peter Jackson's the guy who drew with Corbett and famously John L. Sullivan wouldn't fight you've got Frank Slavin Paddy Slavin who's another great heavyweight from that era and you've got young Griffo, who is maybe one of the greatest defensive boxers of all time. What happens to Fitz when he's amongst that talent and working with those boxers? It just it just develops him. He really sort of refines his boxing ability here in Australia. And he goes on to be the Australian middleweight champion when he's around these fellas. And I'll talk to you a little bit about Fitz's training routines because it's, it's pretty interesting. I read his, his book, Physical Culture and Self-Defense from 1901. In his book, he talks about, I mean, it's really common sense stuff today, but um, he talks about the right ways to train. He talks about not drinking and smoking and not chewing tobacco, even though he does a bit of that stuff later in his life. But he's obsessed with punching, like punching technique. He's When we talk about scientific boxers from the age, they always use that term. He really is. He obsesses about the right way to punch. And he, one of the things he always talks about is punching with the top two knuckles. And he's obsessed with short punches, um, short, powerful punches. He also warns young people about hot birds and cold drinks okay. and, and the party lifestyle. And when it comes to boxing, he, he tells young people the most, important, the most important thing about being a boxer is to remain cool. He says, never lose your temper, always stay composed. And this is something you'll see that he has in spades. Yeah, we'll get to his later fights. He seems unflappable in, in the face of the worst odds. He, as you said, he's Australian champion. He heads to the US. Tell us a bit about taking on the US. Yeah, he heads, he heads to the US in 1890. At the time, the middleweight champion of the world is a guy called Jack Dempsey. And most people when they most people have heard of the name of Jack Dempsey, but what they're usually thinking of is the great fighter from the 1920s, the heavyweight. That Jack Dempsey is actually named after this guy. This this guy is a great middleweight from the 1880s. Um, they called him Jack Dempsey non-pareil, basically meaning no equal. He was such a good fighter. He was unbeaten for, I think, seven years at the time. 
and um, a genius, a genius in the ring. So this guy is the champ, and Fitz wants a wants a crack at him. He thinks that he can beat him. So he, t- he doesn't get that fight, obviously, when he lands there straight away. What happens when he lands in America? So he needs to make a name for himself. Um, no one's no one's really heard of him over there, and he doesn't really look the part either. So that's what he does. He takes a few fights and knockouts, all knockouts. Pretty soon, they know who he is. And it, it's not too long, actually, until he does get the middleweight fight, title fight with Dempsey. So that's 1891 in New Orleans. And Dempsey's a huge favorite. I mean, obviously, he's a huge favorite. Um, this is one of those one of those occasions where when, when Rob comes in, people laugh. He comes in in his gown... And they see his skinny little legs sticking out the bottom of his gown. And there's sniggers from the audience because they just think he's going to get crushed by this guy who's a champion. But when he takes off his gown, they see he's actually quite well built upper body. People start thinking twice. And this is when he's fighting as middleweight, obviously, isn't yeah. it? So he's not he's not stretching up to the heavyweight heights yet. So he's... Yep. And this fight, it's an amazing fight. It's a, it's a massacre. Uh, Bob Fitzsimmons goes straight through this champion. No one can believe it. People are astonished. From the first round, the first time Fitz's right hand lands, Dempsey's body language changes completely. He's on the back foot and he goes down a couple of times. He's knocked down in the seventh round and people say by today's standards they probably would have stopped the fight then, but he's a very proud fighter, Dempsey, and he wants to keep going. He gets knocked down three times in the tenth round and Bob's talking to him in the ring. They People could hear him saying, he says, don't make me hit you again, Jack. God. What's the use of going on with this? And Dempsey won't quit. So basically, he finishes him the 13th, and um, it's a career-ending fight for Dempsey. I, I think it just goes to show how tough those blokes were as well. Because like, yeah. pro- like, this Jack Dempsey is known for not his toughness. You know, he's obviously tough, but he's, what's made his reputation is his skill yep. and avoiding getting hit. Yep. And, you know, um, yeah, people couldn't lay a finger on him. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's got someone who's bashing him and he, and he doesn't fold up when he's fr- confronted with that. He just keeps coming up again and again and again and yeah. just taking all the punishment that's meted out to him. So there's an interesting sort of sidebar here. So Dempsey's never really the same after this fight. Um, he has a couple more fights, but he's not the same man. And he goes through a period of really poor health and um, he actually dies a few years later. But on his deathbed, he says to his wife, he gives her a bunch of money and he says... If Fitz is ever in a fight, bet on him. You'll make a fortune. And years later, it said she, when Fitz finally gets the fight with Corbett, she bets all this money on him and makes a small fortune. That's phenomenal. I do remember reading that in reports of the Corbett fight. It, it, said, you know, it says there was one happy person in the crowd and that story's relayed. That's a feel-good story from the world of boxing. That's awesome. Uh, he, he wins that fight. Can you tell us about how he moves through the middleweight division after that? Yeah, so for the next two years, he, he, he fights a few non-title fights, but he does defend his belt against a guy called Dan Creedon. Dan Creedon's a Kiwi. He's a New Zealand fighter as well. And he's also fought at Foley's Gym, trained at Foley's Gym in Sydney. And there's a, people are really high on this fighter. They think he's that might, he could be the next big thing. There's a lot of backing, but Fitz stops him pretty easily. He knocks him out. He's out cold for five minutes when Fitz beats him. And this is him defending his title. So after he defends his title, he gets a telegram, comes in straight away. And the telegram is from Richard K. Fox. And listeners might remember, Richard K. Fox is the sort of Don King character from that era. 
He's a man who's a bit of a kingmaker. He runs a, a newspaper called the Policeman's Gazette. And um, he basically sends this t- telegram through saying he's prepared to offer $10,000 for the, the heavyweight title fight between Fitzsimmons and Corbett, which is great news for Fitzsimmons, who'd love to fight Corbett. But Corbett doesn't really want to fight Fitzsimmons. Yeah, we, we know from the Corbett episode we talked about that it, that fight takes a long time to happen. So what, ha- what happens when Fitzsimmons is waiting to get his shot at Corbett? There's some tragic moments, actually. Um, Fitzsimmons in uh, 1894, he's doing a sparring roadshow and where basically people come along to watch him spar and train and hit a bag and that sort of stuff. And he's training with an Aussie guy called Con Riordan and um, apparently Con had been drinking and um, he steps in the ring with Fitz and he was throwing some big shots at Fitz. Which you wouldn't... Which you wouldn't do. You wouldn't do for... And... um, and for an exhibition. Yeah, not for an exhibition. And um, he starts landing some big shots. He can box. He's laying some big shots on Fitz. And Fitz decides to defend himself. Um, kind of gets cornered and he does his classic move. So Fitz has got a signature move at this time. It's it's You can look it up on YouTube. It's called the Fitzsimmons Shift. And basically what he does with this move is he, when he throws his right hand, he steps forward. So he steps forward into a southpaw position. And what he's done there is he's closed the distance on his opponent and he's put himself in a position to throw a left hand, a short left hand. And he does that to his opponent's midsection usually. And he hits Riordan with this left hand, drops him, and you know, people drag Riordan out of the out of the ring and Fitz keeps sparring. Anyway, uh, a couple of minutes later he looks over next to the ring and Riordan's slumped in his chair and he knows he's in a really poor way. So he takes him to the hospital, but it's too late. Riordan dies. And um, Fitz is charged with manslaughter. He's later acquitted from it, but it really affects him. Um, he's upset about this for ages. And, and So does um, he sort of take a bit of time off the ring? Like he doesn't plan to fight for a while? Yeah. Is there talk of retirement? He talks of retirement, doesn't want to come back, um, doesn't know why he's doing it. He's, he, all, you know, he always saw himself as a, as a blacksmith and um, he was doing this as, to make some money and he doesn't want to be killing people. He's not, he's not a, he's not that kind of guy. He's a, he's a very, he's a, well, you see it as well. He's a guy with brutal power who knocks people out, but in the accounts from boxers that he fought with, there's a feeling of camaraderie, if anything. Yeah. He doesn't, he's, there's not a vicious streak in him. Yeah. His mates, he's, the people he fought all said he was like a, a real playful person, very happy person, and um, he w- he wasn't a malicious person. He was well liked, definitely well liked. He does he does come back, obviously. One of the fights we see him come back with is Peter Marr, the Irish boxer. Who, just an anecdote quickly that I liked. He'd, he'd already fought this Peter Marr, who ended up getting a version of the title when Corbett himself retires and bestows the title on Peter Marr. Um. In the first round, he was in a bit of trouble, a lot of trouble. And Choinsky, who, what was his nickname, Choinsky's nickname? Uh, the California Terror. Yeah, that's an awesome nickname, speaking of nicknames. and um, Also known as Chrysanthemum Joe. Yeah, I'd go with California Terror. <laughs> <laughs> the California Terror was in Bob Fitzsimmons' corner. And Fitzsimmons had had a bad first round and was a, was fading or not looking good. And Choinsky, to revive him, had to bite on his ear. <laughs> sort of snap him out of it. So, yeah. He ended up beating Ma. This was their second fight, and this was ostensibly for the heavyweight title. That was over pretty quickly, the second one, wasn't it? Yeah, 90 seconds. 
extinguishes him in 90 seconds. And It's uh, funny. I think the most interesting thing about that fight is just the location was on a sandbank in the Rio Grande because it wasn't allowed to be in Texas. Yeah. But yeah, he, he captures a bit of the, the heavyweight title here. And, um, you know, it's a big deal. But he still wants that fight with Corbett. He wants to... He wants to fight them. He wants to beat the man who beat the man sort of thing. In in the chase for it, the thing I like about Fitzsimmons in his time, he doesn't look for an easy fight to keep him busy. His next fight before he locks in Corbett is Tom Sharkey, Sailor Tom, who has been described as like a built like a keg and just a guy that keeps coming and keeps throwing. So that's a really interesting one. Um, Sharkey is a very aggressive fighter. And this fight uh, happens in San Francisco in 1896. And um, it's interesting because Wyatt Earp, the famous gunslinger and lawman, is in town at the time. And um, someone asks him to be the ref of this this fight, such a big fight. And he says he'll do it. It's very strange, you know, to get this guy to ref a fight. So, um, but... Uh, Fitz's camp here before the fight takes place that there's going to be the fixes in and they, they hear that money money might have exchanged at hands and that this this white Earp was going to tip the scales towards Sharky. Anyway, they, they don't really know what to do. They think about protesting, but they just go on with it. So in the fight, the fight goes down as expected. Fitz has got way too much for Sharky and um, he drops him in the eighth round with a body shot. And... Uh, as he does with most of his opponents. And um, as Sharky goes down, he grabs his groin. Fitz laughs because he knows he didn't hit him in the groin. Sharky's sort of indicating that he's been hit low. And um, unbelievably, White Earp um, rules a disqualification and awards the fight to Sharky. And Fitzsimmons is livid about it. He can't believe it. Um, the crowd is upset about it. They interviewed Fitz afterwards and um, they asked him what happened. And he said, I was robbed, that's all. I expected it and I got it. it. It's really interesting, this one, I find, because it's almost like people just ignore that it happened. Yeah. In the papers and things, it was widely acknowledged that he got darted out of it. So it didn't put a roadblock in his way to a fight with Corbett at all. No. He was still... And, and, and man, White, Corbett had to follow yeah. it. And White Herb had his Colt 45 with him as well, so no one was going to argue. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, okay, White, you, yeah. whatever you want, mate, that's fine, bye. So Fitz finally, after this this fight, he gets his he gets he finally gets his heavyweight title fight with Jim Corbett. We talked about that last podcast. Obviously, is there anything you want to talk about in particular we didn't get to cover? Well, just I guess what different people they are. So they're very different people. Fitz is um, Fitz is very easygoing. He's very open. He's working class. He's you know still sees himself as a blacksmith. He's always you know he's always playing jokes that sort of stuff whereas Corbett is very serious he's a superstar he's high society he dresses well he's an actor he's very vain he's got a very high opinion of himself and see so that these two guys very different people and um and when it comes to ability you know Corbett is definitely the favorite he's he's a superstar he's the man who beat the man he's he beat John the great John L Sullivan He's bigger than Fitz. He's faster than Fitz. He's younger than Fitz. He's flashy. He moves his feet a lot more. Um, no one could really, really see Fitz, the middleweight, coming up and beating this great heavyweight. Fitz is, as I said, he's, he's smaller. He's older, but he's got he's got probably three things going for him. He's got that incredible power in both hands. He's got a great boxing brain, 
and he's got that thing that his sister said at the start. He's got that grit that he just can keep going when he gets hurt. And this, these two people, Corbett and Fitz, have never liked each other. They've had a couple of run-ins over the years. You sort of spoke about it last time on the podcast, but um, they almost have a fight. There's another there's another episode where Fitz tries to shake his hand, Corbett's hand, and Corbett refuses to shake his hand. He says, I'll only shake your hand in the ring. So yeah, there's a lot of bad blood between the two, and this fight is a long time coming. So tell us what happened when these two squared off in the ring. So as expected, the early rounds were all Corbett. Too fast, too strong, just had it all. Fitz is getting... After two rounds, Corbett's seconds, his cornerman thought that he actually won the fight. They were saying to him in the corner, you've got this, it's it's over. Fitz wasn't doing much. He was, you know, he looks outgunned. In round six, Fitz gets dropped and he's down on one knee. He's starting to bleed everywhere. He's a real bleeder, Fitz was. And Fitz gets to his corner after this round and he, and he says to them, he ain't hurt me yet. He's fast. Never mind the blood. I've got him licked. And I think this is a great a great moment because it, it shows he, this guy's lost every second of the fight up until this point, but he somehow thinks he's he's the man here. He's, he's, got, he's got him figured out. So um, as you might remember from the last pod, Fitz catches, catches Corbett. He, he starts to, to, to land his punches, and in the 14th round, he lands that body shot, his famous body shot, and then he finishes him with a right hand over the top. Fitz is now the heavyweight champion of the world, and Corbett is furious. He can't believe it. He hates that he's lost his title, but he hates Fitz as well. A few days later, he will say um, Fitz is one of the best fighters he ever fought. But um, yeah, for the time being, he wants a he wants a rematch, and Fitz doesn't want to give it to him. He has no respect for Corbett. What one reason that. Fitzsimmons said, told Corbett he wouldn't fight him is because he actually said he'd retire after the fight and that was it for him. But he did go on to defend his title against Jim Jeffries. Bigger, faster, younger character. What happened there? He gets beaten. He, uh, <laughs> it's a simple way of putting it. He, uh, he's giving away about between 40 and 50 pounds to Jeffries and um, he, yeah, he gets dropped in the 11th round and that's it. Many people thought that Fitz should give it away here, but that's the enigma of Bob Fitzsimmons. He just keeps fighting at heavyweight, and he keeps winning at heavyweight. And um, at 39, he gets a rematch with Jeffries. And 39, I mean, it's, it's, an, it's an older fighter these days, but um, back then it was this was absolutely unheard of. He gets a rematch with Jeffries, and he batters. He really batters Jeffries in the rematch. Um, it's said that he he broke his he broke Jeffrey's jaw he broke his nose and he broke some of his ribs. Um, so he's still got that brutal punching power. Yeah, he's absolutely. And he's like a sledgehammer. Somehow he sort of almost punches himself out and he and he cops a, a hook late in the fight and gets stopped. But he went very close and people thought, oh, he'd definitely retire now. But no, Fitz keeps fighting. At age forty, he wins the light heavyweight title. So he beats a guy called George Gardner. And now he's a three-division boxing champion, the first ever three-division boxing champion. And people are, we definitely keep, he'll stop, retire now. But no, he keeps <laughs> fighting. He's, he fights till he's 51 years old. Yeah, I read that actually New York State wouldn't give him a license when he was 50. Like, so he couldn't get a fight in New York because they said he was too old. But he, he had found somewhere else, you know. 
Now we know we're looking at all these old, looking at these old fighters. The records are always a bit questionable. The one record, an unofficial record given for Bob Fitzsimmons is 101 fights, 69 wins, 12 losses, and 14 draws with nine no contests. So of those wins, 69 wins, 57 by way of knockout. So besides, you know, just racking up KOs all over the world, what do you think Bob Fitzsimmons' legacy is? So, yeah, it's more than a century since Bob's been here and we still think about him, we still talk about him as an all-timer. He's one of the best pound-for-pound fighters there's ever been, maybe the hardest puncher ever. He's definitely on that short list of the hardest punches ever. He's the first three-division champion in boxing and unlike most champions, he didn't go up in weight. He stayed that same weight, never got more than 165 and he was fighting everyone. He's the first fighter over 40 to win a title, and he's the, he's the lightest heavyweight to win a title of all time. Um, yeah, he's amazing. Uh, boxing historian Edgar Lee Masters puts it pretty well. He says, for courage, for power, for skill, for fighting will, there's nothing on record that can hold a candle to Fitz, which I think is pretty close. That's awesome. And also, I mean, we've got to talk about his character, I think, a bit as well. Um, Bob's someone who didn't make a lot of enemies. He's someone who a lot of the guys he fought, he ended up being friends with afterwards. And when Bob died, Sharky, the guy he fought, wrote an article in the LA Herald and he said Fitz is the, the greatest fighter he ever fought, but he said he was an even better man. And it was a good quote at the end there. He says, there'll never be another fighter like Bob Fitzsimmons and I'd not advise any boy to hope to be as great a fighter. But I can advise every boy to try and become as great a man as Bob Fitzsimmons. And if they can do that, they'll have accomplished a great deal. For Bob was a real man, honest, faithful, and a true friend, which, after all, is the best that we can hope to have said about any of us. That, that, geez, that's, that's a fantastic note to end on. Yeah, if you're listening and you've enjoyed learning about Bob Fitzsimmons half as much as I have, make sure you get in touch at the Fighting Life Podcast at gmail.com. And make sure you follow or subscribe so you can hear about our next episode about the great Peter Jackson. He was a world-beating boxer, denied a shot at the title because of the colour of his skin. And To Take Us Out is a song by Celtic Mix, a band that hails from Timaru, New Zealand, the hometown of Bob Fitzsimmons. Bob Fitzsimmons was his name, and fighting was his game. This blacksmith to the prize ring had the call. With a courage and a will, to match his strength and skill, found for found the greatest part of all. His father moved to Cornwall from across the Irish Sea, and Bob was born in 1863. But work and hope were offered in the new land far away. Very soon the family made their way. Bob Fitzsimmons was his name, and fighting was his game. This blacksmith to the prize ring had the call. With a courage and a will to match his strength and skill, found for found the greatest plug of all. They landed in New Zealand after 90 days at sea. Only ten young Bob was full of dreams. 
And working at the anvil, he became as tough as steel. With fists of granite, other pugs would fear. Bob Fitzsimmons was his name, and fighting was his game. This blacksmith to the prize ring had the call. With a courage and a will to match his strength and skill, Alpha found the greatest pug of all. At twenty at Sydney, and he showed them how to fight. The sprinkled lad had local pugs in flight. But the maker of the slugger was in the USA. In 1890, Bob was on his way. Bob Fitzsimmons was his name, and fighting was his game. This blacksmith to the prize ring had the call. With a courage and a will to match his strength and skill, pound for pound, the greatest pug of all. A pug called Dempsey for his first world crown Then stopped Jim Corbett in the 14th round Three world titles he had to his name And now he lives in Boxing's Hall of Fame Bob Fitzsimmons was his name And fighting was his game This blacksmith to the prize ring had the call With a courage and a will To match his strength and skill Bound for bound the greatest pug of all Thank you.